Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. We're on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Time for The Force Awakens Part 2. We're going to close up our series on map making as we transition into a series on hope and belief. We're also going to transition from Part 1, talking about Luke and how Luke has a hidden map complex going on where he doesn't want to be found, and yet he leaves a way for people to find him and how that affects us and those around us as a leader, to focusing on Rey. Now, Rey's journey is all about searching. She is left in life on Jakku without a cause and really without meaning, but she doesn't let that stop her. Throughout this trilogy, we see her searching for her parents, searching for a cause, searching for a mentor. And in the end, what she finds is that the Force is the map that she's been looking for all along. The Force is this invisible map that leads her forward even when she doesn't know exactly what she's looking for or how she's gonna get past the next obstacle. And isn't that what all of us are looking for, right? We can see with our eyes, we can touch with our hands, but really we're looking for, as magnanimous leaders, what is this underpinning current that we can tap into that's going to allow us to find the wisdom that we need to overcome adversity and to help love others well. Welcome to Wonder Tour. All right, well, this is going to be fun. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew, and we've got Derek back with us for another episode. Or should you say Babu Freak? Hey, I'm back. Well, I'm excited that we're going to get to talk about Ray here, because she's obviously, um, you know, the central and probably best character of the, of the new trilogy. Sorry, we're still laughing about the Babu Freak voice. But when we meet Ray, she is not really clearly searching for anything. She's kind of head down, doing her thing. She's scavenging parts off of the Rex Star Destroyers to sell. She's, well, I think she's, uh, she's searching for parts. <laughs> she's searching for parts, yes. But this is she's definitely in a task-focused mindset at this point, right? And what we see from her is we get little hints that she's got, if not Luke Skywalker ambitions, like I want to go join the Rebellion and fly a starfighter, she's at least got some dreams, right? We see her sitting in the ruined Adat Walker and putting the Rebel helmet on. We see that she's got a uh, an action figure a doll dressed up like a Rebel pilot in her little apartment inside the Adat Walker. She's got these sort of romantic notions about the wider universe, but she herself is very pragmatic and kind of focused on just sort of getting through each day. And she's got this, as we learn through the course of the movie, she's got this tie where she's very much looking backwards. She's lost her parents. She's an orphan, but she thinks they could come back. And so she's just sort of waiting for that solution to present itself. In the meantime, though, similar to maybe Belle in our Beauty and the Beast episode that we just did, we see her as this sort of potential leader. She's developed all these skills. She's got these, you know, great physical gifts. She's got this tremendous compassion that we see her when BB-8 shows up. She immediately sort of runs to his rescue and then lets him tag along, even though she, like Luke, sort of is happy being alone. So she's got these things within her, but she doesn't really have a goal. She doesn't really have a thing to go after. And so she's in a similar state to where we find Luke is out in the middle of nowhere by herself with, you know, not really looking for a specific challenge, but she's maybe more open to the challenge and more open to, you know, she's at the beginning of her life, the beginning of her journey, more open to having some adventure come and find her. So Derek, what do you see here in, in you know, since we just talked so much about sort of Luke's state of mind and how you get to that state, what do you see out of Ray? Yeah, I like what you said about how she's really open to the future. You have the 
maybe atomic parts of what hope and belief are built from. And so we don't really have that quite figured out yet. And that's because she really has to kind of build that map of reality first, right? So she does need someone to, I would say, give her a starter map. This is the second episode, so we go a little deeper, right? We need somebody to kind of seed our map. And thankfully, we have, I think we get like this core map from, you know, like our family or whatever, but she doesn't really have that. So she has some kind of a core map from the thing she's dropped into. And it's very simple. The simple thing is I go out, I find junk, I come back to Panera Bread, and I get this little auto muffin (laughs) that I put on my griddle, right? And it pops up, I eat it, I go back to sleep. (laughs) What'd you say? One quarter portion. That's right. One quarter portion. That's all you can get at Panera Bread on Jakku. It's not a very good uh, franchise. Uh, at least there. But you get that and then you go back to sleep and the next day you go and you get more parts. And that is your map of reality that you start with. And obviously you're desperately looking for the expansion pack. (laughs) I know I would be. And there's really nobody to be found because everybody is really scrapping for themselves. And so I think that's a very interesting thing is that when I think about an environment where you're really just around people who are scrapping for themselves, how little can happen, how little growth can happen, because everyone is just in it for themselves. And that is very much why we do this podcast, because we don't want you to be in it for yourself. Yeah, that's a great insight, right? Because nobody's creative. Nobody has any eyes in the future, right? They're living on the bones of past failures or past disasters or past civilizations, and they're just resource extracting and just trying to get through the day. And so Ray has all the potential in the universe, but she's not using it to try to do anything. She's waiting for somebody to show up and solve her problems, right? She's very much focused on the past, both in her livelihood and in her kind of mindset, (laughs) like the, the actual place that she lives. So where Luke is living in the ruins of his own past dreams, she's living the ruins of a bunch of other people's pasts. And in Star Wars, the technology that you're dealing with often says a lot about you, right? That's kind of the design originally from Lucas, was that the Empire had this pristine, sharp edge technology. And what did that say about the Empire? And then the Rebels had this scrappy, old school technology, still from the Clone Wars era, most of it. I mean, you're talking ships that were hundreds of years old, were fighting for the Rebel Alliance and the Resistance. Ray's even at another level down from that, right? She's scrapping those old ships from the Clone Wars and just trying to turn them into gruel. I think her speeder craft is powered by a 40-year-old Cummins diesel and (laughs) smokes and bucks on fire when she fires it up. How would you have a growth mentality or how would you be open to opportunities if that was your whole environment? And that's a that's a business thing, right? If the messaging around you is all about like resource conservation, it's all about like just don't screw up, just find enough to survive. Nobody's motivated to do anything new or extraordinary. And so that's kind of the state we find her in. But then we have new information and new people arriving from literally outside the planet to sort of disrupt that status quo and to spark her imagination. And in this classic hero's journey, right, she gets presented with some challenges and she originally tries to reject them, right? Like, I need to go back to, I need to stay on Jakku. And why are you holding my hand? And all these great, you know, the great interactions between her and Finn as they're sort of running around. But she gets forced into trying the new adventure, right? Well, we're going to get we're going to get blown up. We need to get a spaceship. Well, I guess we're not going to get that one. Let's try this pile of junk over here. Like, and so we have this sort of forcing function to get her off a of top dead center, which is also probably a real thing that happens to a lot of us. 
we don't really start looking for solutions to our problems until they get quite severe. Well, just think about how Ray's theme differs from some of the other characters' themes. So her musical number, her theme has so much optimism and curiosity built into it, and yet there's almost no certainty to it. It's not a definitive drumbeat to it at all. It has this just feel like you're adventuring forward into the world and you don't have a map for where you're going yet. And isn't that awesome? And you get this cool moment the first time the theme is introduced where Ray jumps on this little like piece of metal and rides down the sled hill in the sand. And you're like, oh, okay. So Ray is stuck in this small world, but she's curious and she's utilizing what she has and she's making some fun out of it. And she has joy even in these ridiculous moments. And just like Belle in Beauty and the Beast, like we talked about in our last movie that we went over, she has these kind of innate magnanimous characteristics, and they're just waiting for the scope of the world to be increased so that they can be unlocked. I want to just jump in there and say that I think at this point, as we're foreshadowing into the hope and belief that her hope at this point is her parents are going to come back. Her belief is that her parents are going to come back. So they're almost like in perfect alignment. And I don't know. I just I guess I want to paint that there because by the time we get done with this today, we're going to kind of see how that kind of blends with the map making and how hope and belief kind of drive the map making. I think that's part of it. And as your hope and belief change, then your map changes. I think there's that crossover there. I don't think it's forced. I think it's I think it's natural to kind of see those things coalescing. No, that's a good point. Yeah. The good thing is that she uh, she has a very she has a pretty positive outlook despite fairly dire situation because she's she's imagining that there is some way out. And that way out, you know, is maybe not especially skillful. You know, imagining that some her parents are going to come back and just and solve her problems is maybe not a realistic way to look at it, but it's enough to get her moving through the day and developing her skills and being open to the next thing that happens. And that's a good contrast with Luke, right? Who knows that he has all the skills in the universe but who doesn't have any hope or belief in the future. He's not curious. He's not looking for the next adventure. He's like, everybody leave me alone. Even though she's physically in a similar state, she's mentally a bit more open to the idea that there is a solution. And really what the arc of this movie is her going from that, somebody else is going to show up and save me to learning more and more of her own abilities and learning more and more of her own potential and looking less to the past and more to the future. I want to talk a little bit about Luke though, too, is that, you know, Luke started out when he was young, he was heavily influenced by Uncle Owen, and Drew and I talked about this quite a bit. And I think this is interesting, too, is that I think Uncle Owen curtailed Luke's map when he was younger. And he did this by making it all about the moisture farming business and how Drew and I, we joked, got to get more droids, got to get more droids. He made it very much closed inward. So it's almost like Luke was in a bubble. And so when people came up to him and talked about different things, he did say the Academy, but he also was like very skeptical about a lot of things, too. And I think that came from his mentor. So it's just really interesting to see how because Ray doesn't have a mentor, she actually is good fertile ground to grow something bigger on. Right. Because she didn't have the wrong kind of mentor. There was nobody there like kind of curtailing her map. And I think that her map is more of like there's a fog, whereas Luke's was more like there's a wall built around it. And he had to literally kind of be forced through that to get away from it all. I don't know. Just thought that was kind of interesting to see the contrast there between those two. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that's just its perspective on the same view, right? If you're looking at something and you go, 
oh, that's a crash Star Destroyer. Everything is ruined, right? <laughs> this sucks. People in the past had much better stuff than we did. Like, that's a negative view on that. The positive view of that is, how cool is this? I get to climb around inside of a crash Star Destroyer. I get to live in an Adat Walker. I get to, you know. You know, so she clearly has the ability to dream, right? She has the ability to sort of romanticize what the bigger world could be like, where if you're on the back end of your own failures or on the back end of your life, you are less likely to be having those aspirational dreams. I love how we've crystallized this to some extent. This It's been over the course of so many different wonder tours that we've started to come to this terminology of the fertile leader is a wanderer, right? It's Bell, it's Ray, it's Murph, it's Cooper. It's these type of people that are constantly head in the clouds. You know, you don't necessarily have to be head in the clouds, but they're always thinking about other people, about other things, what could happen, not just what is happening. And so when their world increases, as it does in the hero's journey, and also as it does in the real world, as we grow older and more experienced, that means that now those wanderer traits have the ability to grow and integrate into a more pronounced role in the universe where we can influence other people as our scope increases and as we become magnanimous leaders. And so I want to take this now and turn it to our mountaintop here. Okay, so Ray has all this potential. She's a wanderer, just like we like to find here. We want to empathize with her there and understand what we can learn. But really, we want to learn how to go from being a wanderer to being a magnanimous leader. So let's hit the mountaintop here. And I think the mountaintop is the Maz Kanata mentor moment here. Yes. So we have Ray in Maz Kanata's place, makes her way into the basement. The, you know, they're being attacked by the First Order. She finds a lightsaber. She has visions of the past. Her world is forcibly opened to be bigger. Like she's now not only connected to the storyline in a mysterious but compelling way, but she's also sort of, you know, her world's just been opened up. All of these things are there and they're available for her to be involved in. And they're kind of scary and they're kind of a lot of pressure and they're kind of confusing, right? All these things are happening at the same time. And she comes back from this really disturbing series of visions from getting some more insight into the true nature of the world. And Maz Kanata's there and says in her very direct, very sincere, very compassionate way, the belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. And just thinking about it now, how many times in this movie does some character say some variation of focus on the past, right? Where she wants, I have to go back to Jakku. And Finn is, I'm not going back to the First Order. And Han says, I went back to the only thing I was ever good at. Like, everybody's looking backwards. Luke is looking backwards. Kylo Ren's looking back to, I want to be like Darth Vader. Like, everybody's looking to the past. And this is the moment that crystallizes the, like, you guys are all missing the point. And you, Ray, in particular, you can't unlock your potential by looking at the past. And then she goes on to talk about, you know, this explanation of the Force that we all know and love so well from growing up with Star Wars, right? The Force moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes and feel it. It's always been there. It will guide you. And then, of course, in awesome movie fashion, we crystallize that into here's a physical action you can take. Pick up the lightsaber. Here you go. So this is the moment that kind of centralizes the message of this movie is stop looking back, start looking forward and start looking for the map, the energy that's all around you. But in that moment, it's too big for Ray. She can't absorb all of that. She can't absorb this new view of the universe and her own new potential and her responsibility to be involved in it and carry on the legacy of Luke Skywalker. That's like way too much to do in her state. And so she walks away and she rejects the lightsaber. And interestingly, you know, a couple minutes later in the same sequence, Finn ends up picking up the lightsaber and going and doing some useful things with it. 
because he's not trying to accept that big of a change. He's got a, a much smaller mission, which is all of his compassion has led him to like, all right, from I don't want to be a stormtrooper anymore to I'm going to help this one person or this one small group of people. So he's really focused on just helping Ray. So that's that's enough for him. It's like, I'll pick up the lightsaber. If it gets me there, I'll, I'll take that step. But Ray has to break it down into finding either being more desperate or having a more tangible single step she can take before she can really embrace it. That's why I think it's difficult when you have a very wide but not very detailed map. And that is probably something that a lot of leaders struggle with, which is you don't have a lot of granular detail, but you know that there is a lot out there. It can be very paralyzing. It can literally freeze you in your tracks. And then you start going backwards, I think, because that particular part of the map is extremely detailed. I'm sure you've had it happen where you're in a bad area, you get bad cell service, and you're looking at your different maps, programs, whatever, and the tile that you need just isn't coming in. And I just want to, like, bash my face into the phone. I'm like, where is it? Come on, data. Come on through. And the tile just won't come in. And you're not getting the details. And so you're like, kind of like, oh my goodness, I don't know. I know that the map is big, right? But I don't have the details in that area. And it's it's freaking me out. And when you think about Finn, he's like, I'm operating on a tile of a city block, right? To your point. I think there's times where you've got to maybe block out some of the rest of the map and just say like, I'm only going to focus on this piece of it right now. And frankly, when you have a lot of responsibilities and it's thing to thing to thing to thing, and that's that season of your life that you're in, that's the way you have to operate. You have to literally say, I only need this map tile right now. I have access to the full map. I get it. And as you grow, and I think this is just overall map advice, right? When you're tapping into your map and you know that your map is wide and vast and different things, I think I would suggest as a way of balancing yourself to just pick the tile that you need at the time. When you want to play strategy, you need to make the whole map kind of blurry because you really don't need all those details, right? Or you zoom out, whatever it may be. Look at less detailed features. Look at the bigger picture. You can't look at the entire map granularly. It will drive you insane. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in a leadership situation, especially, your job is to be zoomed out. Your job is to be looking at the big picture of the map and figuring out that we're moving in the right direction. But if you just give that to everybody in your team and say, you guys all go figure out exactly what you need to do in that one zip code, they'll be paralyzed. You're putting them in that situation. And so one of the real challenges of leadership storytelling is like, here is the big picture. And then here's the specific step that you can take that will get us to where we need to go. And if you can get it down to that level of detail where they believe that those things are connected and they have the hope that they'll get to the whole big map, foreshadowing here a little bit, then you can maybe get people off a top dead center. But they need to have digestible tasks. And so you might have that interaction with Ray where where they're just like, no, I don't want to take that step. That whole big world is too scary. I don't want to do the new thing. You'll absolutely have that. And they may come back a week or a month or a year later and go, oh. Or they might just say, all right, I'm going to try this one thing. Well, that's the tactic right here, Brian. That's So let's finish that quote, the Maz Kanata quote, after the belonging you seek part. She says, I am no Jedi, but I know the Force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes. Feel it. The light. It's always been there. It will guide you. She's saying the map is in front of you. You just can't see it with your eyes. And then she says, the saber. Take it. She makes that very tangible. And she says, I know you're not going to get it. I'm talking about feeling the force. I'm talking about the light. I'm talking about this thing that is foreign to you right now that you don't even know if you believe in. But I'm going to give you one step that you can take. Pick up the lightsaber. And I know that you're not going to get the force today. It's not going to be something where you just tap into it immediately. 
but I'm going to set the stage for you by laying out that there is this invisible map and by telling you about how you can tap into that map. And then I'm going to give you the one tangible step which is basically just do this thing, take this lightsaber. And isn't that the way, you know, when you can see the map as a leader and you know there's an invisible map, you don't have to be able to see it in a granular way. You don't have to see it in a detailed way. You can just see the narrative, you know, underneath of the things that you can feel and taste and see, there's something else, there's a story, there's humanity, there's values, right? These things that are underneath all of it that are kind of the underpinning truth about what's going on here that, again, it's not easy to pin down 100% where everything's at all the time in that invisible map. But just to know that that map exists and to tap into that map as a leader and say there are dimensions that are not tangible and physical, and I'm not going to discount those dimensions. To just tell somebody that as a leader sometimes is key. Say there are dimensions that exist that are not physical. I know you're not going to understand this necessarily right now, but what I am going to do is give you one tangible step to take in the way. Okay, here's the way. Maybe empathize with this person. Maybe that's that's your one step that you give somebody. Maybe you're counseling somebody on your team who's really struggling with somebody they're running up against, a different stakeholder or something that they don't agree with. Okay, well, there's other things happening here than just your little piece of the map right now, not to trivialize it, but there's other things that are happening. Empathize with this person. Pick up the lightsaber. Is that what's called giving direction? (laughs) I think it's funny, right? I love to see the circle come back around on itself like you reference all the time. People say things and I don't think they really realize how connected that statement is, that I want to give you some direction. Really, that lightsaber pickup is that direction that she needs right there in that time. Eventually, the goal is to get to autonomy, right? But when you're stuck, you need a little direction to get going. And I think that's what happens here. I love that she doesn't actually take the saber in that moment, right? It's still too big of a step for her, but the seed's been planted. And so then we get the other cool moment in this sequence when she does get captured by the First Order and she's up on Kylo Ren's starship and he's decided he's going to force interrogate her and drag the map from her mind. She's got in the back of her mind, Maz Kanata's admonition is like, oh, the force is a thing and the force is a thing that you can use, right? And that belief, that seed of this is possible in that moment where she's quite desperate, then she actually she's like, okay, well, I guess I'll try that. The other thing, my normal stuff isn't going to work here. So I guess I'll try that thing. And that's what unlocks her potential. That's the first time that we really see her not just being open to things, but actually executing them, actually buying in and trying to use the force. And that's the moment that sort of unlocks her as a Jedi is like, no, the heck with you. You're not, you're not coming into my mind. Like you know, she turns it right around on him. If you wanted to do a what if, like what if she doesn't have that conversation with Maz Kanata and she ends up on the starship with Kylo? Like, is she able to do that? Is she able to realize like, hey, if he can do it, so can I? Oh, there's an intersection between belief and passing the test. I know that's, that sounds like it's out of left field, but if you're a wanderer, it's probably not. <laughs> but to be able to pass the test, you have to believe. I mean, look at Indiana Jones that we just did the last crusade. And there's the moment when he has to walk the invisible path. And he has to have this belief that the path is there, even though he can't see it with his eyes. He says, there's a map underneath of this. And I believe that the invisible map is more accurate than what I can see with my eyes. And I know that's going to sound heavily spiritual, but I don't think that we should shy away from that as leaders. I know that that might turn off some naturalists, but even most naturalists I know are not totally against the idea that there's other things than what I'm just physically seeing that are going on. 
And so to pull that into the belief, though, like you said, Brian, Ray has to pass a test eventually, right? All leaders, all humans are eventually presented with many tests in their life. And those tests allow them to develop character and those tests allow them to unlock blessings for other people, which is exactly what happens with Ray. She has to get to this point where she has enough belief to pass the test. It's this gradual increase in her belief in the force from at first where she's skeptical and Han has to say like, no, the force is real. Like I wouldn't be the guy who would believe in the force, but actually it is real. <laughs> and then she gets the Maz Kanata moment. And eventually she's like, okay, well, if the force is real, then it's the classic, like, I'm 99% sure that I'm 100% sure. Basically, like, if this is 100% real, it doesn't matter if I'm 70 or 90% certain that it's 100% real. I can just go all in on it. And that's what she does. She's like, if this is real, I'm just going to, then I'm going to leverage it. And I'm not going to just be taken advantage of here by somebody who knows that it's real. That moment of belief is, to tie in another Wonder Tour concept, a script flipping moment. Honestly, I think these are kind of the same conversation, right? The whole conversation about belief and hope in things that you can't see is the same as the looking ahead, looking behind. The past is a known country. We've experienced it. It's, it's written down facts. It's things that we've seen with our own eyes. The future, by definition, isn't. And so you can't have a plan for the future. You, you can't have agency in the future unless you are willing to envision things that you can't see yet and try to find them and try to make them happen. And, you know, in this movie, to some extent, the force is just human agency. It's just your ability to act in the world and influence the future. And so that's where the, you know, the belief or the hope is the intangible, the undiscovered country, right? The future is the part that we can't, by definition, know yet. And the hope and belief is often talking about things that are underneath reality that we can't, by definition, know. Okay, so let me propose a initial definition of belief here. And I, in true wonder tour diligence, have done no research on this other than where my musings have taken me in the past. But when we introduce one of these new conceptual series, we want to come to a definition and not usually one definition, but a number of different definitions that depending on the perspective, those definitions, you can kind of stitch together to understand what that core concept is. So I would like to propose, and this will be only a draft, that belief is taking action in conformance with a truth that we cannot see or with a with a thing that we believe to be true but cannot see or cannot confirm, basically. No, that'll be fun to discuss. Does it require, does, does having the confidence to take an action in the future require that you think that there is a single truth or does it just require you feel you have enough agency to change things? I think that'll be really fun to explore as we start looking for the different ways that hope and belief manifest themselves, especially in these stories that we love. I think it's great that you guys are going into this because belief and hope is so much behind a lot of the big, amazing turnarounds and tide turns, limit breaks, lots of really cool stuff in the hero's journey. What's behind it is hope and belief. And I think that's why this is very much something that a magnanimous leader would be into and all about, because that's truly what drives them when all else is crashing around them. If everything is burning, what is left? Hope and belief. That really is the core of a magnanimous leader. I think at the very center of the core. Yes, integrity, one of those things that's kind of like wrapping around and through and all this different things, you know, it's kind of like the force for a magnanimous leader. There's so many things that are really cool about the model of magnanimous leader, but really the thing that is the seed, the the center of it, the very center. And I don't know if it's the very, very center because this is Wonder Tour. We haven't figured out other things to put there yet. 
but hope and belief are extremely important to manifesting the magnanimous characteristics that we've talked a lot about on Wonder Tour. So hats off to you guys. No, that's really well said. And we're leveraging a lot of these great conversations you guys have had over the last year or two. I feel like we talked a lot about the attributes of a leader themselves and things that a leader should do, you know, being able to act with compassion, being able to act with integrity. And we're starting to talk about also how the leader interacts with the people around them. Like that's kind of the whole point of being a leader is that people need to follow you. So the map making is a very tangible leadership skill set or technique or approach to the world. Like here's a way to understand reality. I'm going to digest my version of it. And then I'm going to figure out a way to communicate it to you. So we share a version of reality and we get together. So that's very practical. It's very pragmatic. What we're talking about now, as you said, is the hope and belief is it's internal. The leader has to have belief. The leader has to have hope for the future. But it's not sufficient for the leader themselves to be the one with hope for the future. Like You have to get that to everybody else on the team. Nobody will follow you unless they have the same hopes and beliefs that you do. And so I think it'll be really fun to explore a more emotional and harder to define human interaction, an analogy that's, you know, that's less tangible in that leadership skill set and that leadership mindset. How do you cultivate that for yourself in the face of difficult situations? And how do you cultivate that in the others in the face of the undefinable future? Yeah, I'm really excited for this series already. I know we just barely scratched the surface on belief and hope here, but I can already tell that I'm going to be laying in bed at night thinking about this a lot. (laughs) All right, well, let's do some key takeaways here. As always, I will lead us off and you guys can fill in the gaps. So we talked a lot about Ray and how she starts out with a small scope of her world, but yet she's a wanderer. She has this curious, optimistic outlook to her. And that kind of allows her, when the scope increases, to become a magnanimous leader. So then we talked about how there's this fascination in The Force Awakens and really in Star Wars as a whole with the past. And the way that the narrative progresses is by focusing on the future. And so to do that, Rey needs this map. She needs an invisible map. And Maz Kanata turns her on to it and says, well, you have access to it the whole time. Close your eyes. Feel it. The Force is there. It'll guide you. You're not going to have a GPS navigation necessarily. That's not how the Force works. But you just need to take the first step and let the Force guide you. So take this saber. I know you're not going to believe me right now, but I'm going to give you one task that may increase your belief. And then you'll have to go on this journey, this adventure, and hopefully through that journey, you'll come to believe through your belief, you will become a magnanimous leader who impacts the narrative. So I think we said belief is an incremental process. It's not a moment. And then, Brian, you wonderfully pulled it all together there at the end. Basically said the past requires no belief, but the future, because it's unwritten. Now that requires us to believe that requires us to have hope. And that's the transition that Ray has, not just in episode seven, but in episodes eight and nine as well, is she comes to this firm conviction. And let's just wrap it all up here, the concentric circles. That conviction comes to a head in the cheesy moment that I've absolutely come to love in episode nine, when Ray says, I'm all the Jedi. I know it's a bad quote, but that moment as a Star Wars fan is absolutely incredible when you have Rey finally come to this understanding. It's not about her, and yet she's the only one in this position. So she just has to open herself up to all the other Jedi, to all the work, all the purpose that has been done before. And that's how this hope is going to become realized, right, is in her belief, not in herself, but in all the other people, all the other Jedi, all the other resistance fighters. That's how they're going to overcome the Emperor. 
The challenge of the leader is not to provide the energy of all yourself, right? The challenge of the leader is to let the energy flow through you, is to, is to harness it and direct it. All right, Derek, what do you got for us as we wrap up our discussion of Ray and Luke and Star Wars and map making in general? I'm looking forward to hearing how this all plays out. I'm excited. I believe in you guys. <laughs> I have a great hope for the future. And Wonder Tour has a bright one. All right, so next time we're going to be switching gears in a couple different ways. We're going to be starting our series on belief and hope. And we are going to take a kind of movie that we maybe haven't approached before. One of our most loved and most used modern mythologies is the story about the winning of World War II. So we're going to step back to a movie that was actually made in the middle of World War II that is all about belief and hope and the struggle against cynicism. Of course, we're talking about Casablanca with Humphrey Bogart, and this is going to be a lot of fun because I think there's some really great mythology going on here, but also the context in which this movie was made and the real-world challenges that they were facing make it uh, very pertinent for our conversation. So we're looking forward to seeing you next time, and Derek, why don't you take us out? Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate the conversation today. And remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time. 